Welcome to the Deep Into Movies podcast. My name is Stephen T. Hanley. I'm the founder and lead curator of Deep Into Movies. We are a pop-up cinema based in London. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by two wonderful writers, Atesha Moshveg and her husband, Luke Gabel. So they are both fiction writers and they have teamed up to adapt Atesha Moshveg's novel Eileen it's been turned into a movie and if you know Atessa's work it's dark as hell and brilliant and when I heard they're adapting it I was like there's no way you can adapt this novel without really sanitizing it and taking away all the dark grit and beauty it kind of feels like David Lynch making a Hitchcock movie or something and unbelievably they've nailed it it's one of the best films of the year. And I was really excited to speak to them both. We met up in London at their hotel where they were staying for Eileen Press. And it was a great talk. And I got a Tessa's take on the Barbie movie, which was that really made my day. Here is me, Atessa, and Luke. movies this is Atessa Renato. hey buddy how are you good how are you doing good man yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, I, I stole a walk from the other room I just saw Thomason in the lobby who nice I met her last week we were hanging out with Edgar Wright for a screening and I saw her but I didn't know I didn't recognize her from the movie I didn't put two and two together oh really and then my friends were like you've been raving about this fucking movie all week why didn't you, you didn't say something you know that she was Eileen no wow but I, I, I'm a film programmer yeah film nerd i'm horrible with faces i halfway through a movie i'll be like that's the guy from the other movie my girlfriend's like how, how have you just noticed that yeah i've got like some facial blindness stuff okay. but actually we were just with thomason for dinner last night and i had i the whole time i kept being like oh wait she's eileen yeah because she doesn't seem like she's no. so she's so sweet yeah. yeah she's so in character yeah that she doesn't seem like thomason no i didn't so get the... i don't think it's your fault yeah but I got to see her and congratulate her on the movie, so I didn't see. So cool. I feel better. She's great, isn't she? So great. As a person, too. Yeah, she's delightful. She's really sweet. Mm. So if we start at the beginning, you said you wanted to make a mainstream book for normal people to enjoy. Mm-hmm. But this it's so funny because this book and movie are so dark. I mean, this is a... S- Normal as I can get. Yeah, you, right. you failed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this is just, I mean, I've tried, you know, since Eileen, ev- almost every book, there at the beginning of any project, you say, okay, I have agency. Like, I can choose what, what I'm going to do. And at the en- the beginning, I always say, okay, I'm going to look for the the story in the sunshine. And then it always ends up the shadow and so I've just sort of given up at this point. I'm, this is just my imagination. Yeah, no, what you're doing is 
winning. It's just funny. My my friend who's been a struggling writer for many years has ju- just said, "Fuck it, I'm gonna try and write a bestseller. I'm through with my small press stuff." Uh, and he's just like devouring like John Grisham and Michael Crichton and Gone Girl and stuff like that, just to try and turn himself mm. into a mainstream kind of airport novel big hit. But I don't. I, I don't know. Similarly, I, similarly, I don't think he's got it in him to be normal mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in <laughs> the most respectful way. So how's it for you guys working together? You're both writers and collaborating because writing is such a quiet pastime. How is it as yeah. working out to a collaborative process for both of you? I mean, it's like we're both fiction writers to yeah. start off with. So, yeah, we're used to writing in a cave and then you know just made the cave bigger <laughs> right. so luke and i were just in actually it turns out the cave own. actually was deeper than we had thought and you could just have one person behind the other <laughs> we didn't have to expand the cave at okay, all yeah, yeah that's true i just one of us gets behind the other one for no i i'm the sunshine and she's the rain that's beautiful <laughs> i like that <laughs> I you think we take like turns. Right. And how is the collaborative process? Or how is it you like maybe taking notes on your own work? Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. difficult? It was, I mean, at the time I thought that what we were doing was difficult. Now I look back and I think that was the easiest thing I've ever done. Mm. Um, and I think it's because I didn't know how hard it was. It was just, okay, this, you know, I I wrote the book. I know the story. I mm-hmm. know these characters. Um, and that I, I remained sort of like innocent in that way as we went into the adaptation. And Luke and I co-wrote the script. The first draft took us like, uh, like weeks. So we, we did it really, really quickly, kind of like pulling off a Band-Aid, like let's just get this on the paper. Um, but the cool thing was that we were working with a director who totally understood everything that we m- were m- meaning to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were all really on the same page about what we wanted the movie to be. And I felt really lucky to be working with people who were also really honoring the novel. So I didn't feel at any moment that I was somehow sacrificing anything mm-hmm. for the adaptation which i think is rare i mean yeah and how's it for you jumping in and adapting and making edits and i mean we had uh come off of our first collaborative project with a script with um this causeway. movie causeway that was great yeah thank you um and that was difficult in that you know um we had a very maybe nine weeks to rewrite that mm-hmm. script and they were like ready to start shooting and it was you know it wasn't our impetus so as writers for hire and an all service kind of thing it was it was very intense and so coming into Eileen yeah I mean Eileen was a miracle like I mean I guess it helps that you wrote a book that you wanted to do exactly what it does it was cinematic by nature you know it was working with a form playing with a genre subverting it but doing it that was all really functional and like workable for a, a script uh for a film and uh it had like great themes and you know it was, it was just ready to be it was just dying to be a movie so 
yeah, it wasn't the hardest movie that we've tried to write. There have been since we've been two that we've been working on now, mm-hmm. or the we're finding there's yeah, there's harder movies to write. Eileen was like a thunderbolt from God. And what's your process? Are you both at the laptop? Are you taking turns or sharing passes and things like that? I mean, I think with Eileen, we took turns. I mean, because one of us was always sort of looking at the book and one of us was looking at the, the script. And um, We take turns, but we're both looking at it at the same time. So, you know, you share on the final draft or whatever. We're both seeing the same. But but one person is a little bit more in the lead, maybe. Um like I'll be generating, saying a lot of things, and she'll be writing it down, or she'll be talking, and I'll be writing it down. I'll work on a scene while she works on another scene, um, or now we're at a place where we'll do passes, where I'll do a whole pass, and then she'll do a whole pass. But that wasn't the case with Eileen. With Eileen, it was word by word; everything had to be decided together. I mean, Eileen, and the, same with Causeway. The screenplay had the kind of um tight economical writing of a short story almost so Mm. we we knew we had limited pages to accomplish a great deal um and you know we had to make decisions about what we wanted to include and what we didn't but I, i i actually feel like it really was like writing a short story and that you really had to uh pick and choose very carefully and then make it really count there's a lot of silence in Eileen. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And also, writing a script is different to writing a novel as to what's on the page and what is yes. coming out. How How is that changing your brain from fiction to a shooting script? Well, in the case of Eileen, it's so much first person. Eileen is talking the entire book. Yeah. Um, whereas with the script, it's you know, third, if anything, and uh, there's not that much said. So it's a lot of the action and the silence and the expressions and the, right? So, I mean, those are very different. I mean, I I think we've, we wanted Eileen to feel like a really whole, you know, 3D character on, in the screenplay. And what she chooses to say sort of, tells whoever she's talking to the things she wants them to know but then she's also talking to the viewer and sort of speaking in a code because we know that what on the outside looks like sort of a I don't know um everyday girl is somebody who's like vibrating and brimming with desire and confusion and rage and all these other feelings and we know about it but she's trying to keep it a secret so there there's a balance to what she said and what she didn't say i mean books are about distraction in a lot of ways there's Mm -hmm. a lot of discursive territory you know there's like the story and the character but then there's all this stuff you know uh, looking at things and thinking about things and pondering things and exploring concepts and notions that just isn't Unless you're doing like Mike Lee or something, they're, and they're doing it, ver- you know, verbally, mm-hmm. there's just not a lot of room for that in a script. A script is, you know, physical space, things happening, plot going, character, you know, figuring out who the character is, and then putting them in motion. 
and all the description is kind of superfluous. And there's not a lot of room for theorizing unless, like, you know, someone's speaking out loud manically. So they're just very different. And how was it landing with your director? I was just thinking, I'm friends with Brexton Ellis, and he's always saying now with script writing, it'll just, if you take the check, the movie's going to happen. And it's going to be good or bad, but you've taken the check, so you've completely signed off. I was wondering, what's, what's, what's your approach? Are you guarded about your work do you do you want to vet the director or do you, are you just gonna the movie's the movie in my book's my book um it surprises me that brett would be so cavalier because he's such a consummate artist and, and cinephile such, yeah but um well he said he's had a lot of projects where he's done script writing projects and he's like the chances of this being made are like one percent, but he's gonna, oh, I see what he's, he's saying. saying. He'll write the script and then he'll they'll find script, a director. Even the adaptations, he's got mixed feelings with, and right, yeah. But yeah, are you protective over your work? Or, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna just hand it over to anyone. Yeah, and I didn't. I mean, Will Oldroyd is a genius. Great, yeah. and I had seen uh, Lady Macbeth and completely understood that he could and would honor the character and her story and uh i mean i think there's something about will oldroyd's brand of like tension that just was perfect for an adaptation of eileen because it's so much a story of of suspense and what is you know in in these contained spaces and what feels like it needs to break out so yeah, I mean, I'm protective of it, but I also totally trusted Will, and I totally trusted everyone that we that worked on the movie. So I didn't feel nervous about it. Okay, you guys had great experiences. Yeah, we both. did. Yeah, we really never lucky. we never gave any of it away. There was never anyone pushing this movie in any direction that we three didn't want it to go. So that was That was also lucky. That's like rare, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Mubi. Mubi is a great streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema. I've been a Mubi subscriber for years and I'm going to give you three of my favorites from the Mubi UK platform. Okay, let me have a look. Number one, Gone Girl by David Fincher. Okay, this is weird, but I am obsessed with the first 90 minutes of this movie until it gets crazy. If you've seen it, you, you know what I mean. I don't know what it is. There's something about the vibe and the kind of cold, eerie atmosphere of this movie. I put it on all the time when I'm working. So do that. Hopefully you'll fall in love with it and that weird glacial vibe that it's got as well.
Okay, this is amazing. Mubi has bought a lot of the Shaw Brothers catalog. Shaw Brothers started in the 60s. Four brothers who started making martial arts movies across Southeast Asia. Okay, so Kung Fu... When I was a teenager, 18, 19, I discovered Wu-Tang Clan. I was obsessed with Kung Fu movies and Wu-Tang always used Kung Fu movie samples. And I'd always try and find the movies that the samples were from because I'm a geek. So... 36 Chambers of Shaolin, that's a classic. I love that movie where he's learning to be a Kung Fu master and he has to go through all 36 Chambers of the Academy to become a master. That's a great one. So start there and dig in. Holy crap, there's loads. Five Deadly Venoms, I know that one is referenced by Tarantino. That's all I've seen. Okay, there's like one, three, six, nine. There's over 12 movies. So dig into those over the festive period. Okay, and my final one. I want to pick Blue Steel by Catherine Bigelow starring Jamie Lee Curtis as a rookie cop who gets suspended from duty after a first day and she finds herself the object of desire for a serial killer played by the absolutely creepy ron silver this is great erotic thriller 90s crime drama they just don't make him like this anymore so blue steel not to be confused with the zoolander fashion face if you know what i mean okay that's it from me and the good news is you can watch all these movies and more for 30 days for free just go to movie.com slash deeper into movies watch my recommendations and watch a ton more there's always loads of great stuff to watch on the movie platform And what were you guys watching for inspiration? Were there any films you were passing back and forth for the? That's interesting. Were the there movie? any comps? I don't. I don't think so. I don't. We didn't really approach it that way. Where I think usually when we, when you go to like pitch a movie or sell a movie, you kind of need to think in these industry terms. Like this is kind of like this. Yeah, and it's this, this and other this movie. This, but the, the, we didn't do that. I mean, we had our big our big cinematic reference was Hitchcock. For obvious reasons, in that it's, you know, a noir-esque, thriller-esque, suspense-esque film. Um, and the novel itself was inspired a lot by Hitchcock's adaptation of the Daphne du Maurier novel, Rebecca, which is why I named Rebecca, Rebecca. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were certain, like, period things because it, it is a movie that takes place in the 60s but I think we were really focused on telling the story rather than yeah, sort we of kept, nodding we kept toward pure. anything else 
we kept it pretty yeah we kept it pure that we weren't really and it's not just when you're going to sell it i mean even when you're de- developing things with directors like we're we've got another film with will that we're in process with and i mean we had comps on that we had films that we were looking at yeah, we had Vera Wang. We had, I mean, um, Vera not Vera Wang. Wang. We had Vera. Uh, <laughs> help me, I don't Vera. Remember. The Mike Lee film. Vera Drake. Yeah, Vera, Vera Drake. Drake. Thank, Thank you. you. And uh, we had Phantom Thread, and there were other films that yeah, we that true. we had as comps. But with Eileen, we didn't. We just. Uh, I mean, I don't we, know if you really need a, a film comparison when you're working from an. I like a novel. I mean, the novel is the movie, the thing, right? Right. Or you know, a version of it, anyway. What do you guys watch at home? What do you have favorite movies? Um, I think we, you know, we don't really watch as many movies together at home as we do in the theater. I think at home we tend to watch series together. But um, I mean, we, I don't know, we try to go see everything that comes out pretty much I'll, I'll go on like um like a run like trying to watch a you know if someone like mike lee right now ramin barani before that like i'll just kind of start taking on a director and watching as many of their films as i can but we don't really watch a lot of films at home we go to the movies that's where what we i can, said where like, we can eat popcorn and drink yeah Coke. i mean there's something i i, I mean especially since COVID, I think I going to the movies feels more important because you have the option now. And certain films that just came out, like the new Scorsese, I think, like, you know, I really wanted to see that on the big screen. Um, even the Barbie movie I wanted to see on the big screen. Well, your thoughts <laughs> on the Barbie movie? You know, I was like, I, I, I totally don't relate to the cultural impact of Barbie as um, an American woman. I feel nothing for the Mattel, but I thought as for a film that was trying to reach such a broad audience with what I think is kind of a progressive message, I was grateful for it. And I thought that some of the decisions that... Gerwig made, like, for example, using a montage of, like, real footage of real people toward the end of the movie was really moving. I thought the uh, performances were great. I mean, it was fun. And it kept my attention the whole time. I thought it was good. Yeah, I felt similarly. Yeah. For what it was, it was good. Yeah. And there's something still that kind of subversive to come through on a mainstream movie is pretty... Yeah, that was impressive. I mean, like even like the pavement references and things like that were. Yeah. I was like, this is yeah. smart. I'm kind of dreading the new universe of toy movies, but mm-hmm. there's always a bunch of bullshit after something kind of sure. big and unique happens. That to like, all right, now it's for toy era and stuff, which is what do we got? Trolls, Paw Patrol, were they toys? Um, Polly Pocket is the, Lena Dunham's doing. Oh really? Polly Pocket. Wow. Well, see, I bet that'll be good too. I mean, Lena is so. Good. She's great. Yeah. Yeah. She lives in London now. Oh, that's Is that right. right. Yeah. I met her for the first time at Cat Person screening. Oh. How was that? How I was Cat seen Person? That. Really fucking good. I was I had no idea how they could take such a minimal short story and 
expand it, but it was really good. It kind of had a kind of more mainstream elements to it, but on a whole, the whole kind of debate surrounding the movie of and the ambiguity was still retained, and it was it was good. That was at Sundance when we were there, but we just didn't get a chance. I think it was sold out, or we didn't get a chance to see it. It's something we need. I need to see. Yeah. I actually haven't ever read the story. Because hmm. when people were talking about the story, I I was like, isn't that every story? Like, <laughs> isn't it? It's like about a woman who. What What is the plot? A woman goes on a meets a guy at a movie theater. Uh, goes on a date. And just kind of gets the ick, as they uh-huh. say. She just kind of falls out of whatever connection they thought they had just suddenly goes. She okay. can't explain it. It's gone. Messages <coughs> him to say, look, it's just not working out. And then I think he just messes back, like, you're a fucking bitch. Mm-hmm. Or something like that. And it's just that. And there was a, so that sparked the whole debate. Like, guys are saying, like, she's a bitch. She's mean. And girls are just saying, this is just classic bro response to being mm-hmm. rejected rejected and stuff but it kind of yeah for the most part it kept that kind of interesting nuance kind mm, of interesting discussion. yeah i think it's it's interesting to see like what makes it through to the mainstream like that that story and i mean i then i think like comparing that story and the complexity of that situation to a movie like Eileen. And then I'm like, this will be interesting to see what people think because it's a, it's a different kind of complexity, but one that I think is just as common. The complexity both of being in a infatuation with someone of the same sex. Yeah. Where you're willingly seduced by them even though you probably aren't actually gay yeah and then the scenario of just like the cyclical cyclical abuse in families i guess it's just not as sexy as dating and texting yeah (laughs) but happens all the time Let's talk about Anne Hathaway. Yeah. I think maybe her best performance I've seen. She's incredible. She's incredible. Yeah. She does feel, it sounds so cliche, but she really does look and feel like an old school Hollywood star in this movie. Yes. I, I, I don't know what, yeah. Yeah. Stunning. She's always had a kind of classic, but this has felt like she's just like AI to 1950s, <laughs> uh. Hitchcock noir onto a contemporary movie. Yeah. Yeah. She just totally channeled it. She's just stunningly charismatic. Yeah. She just, and it's like everything just holds still. It's like hummingbird effect. Just look at her face and it's just moving at perfect stillness. What I think is incredible about that performance is like she's, she's a character, she's playing a character who's a real woman. And that real woman is playing a character who's a movie star. And just the levels of yeah. the subtlety of pretension and sincerity. Are, I mean, it's really complex what she's doing. And the ways in which she manipulates Thompson McKenzie's character and inspires her by saying, 
things like, well, you know, you're just like me, which is so complicated when if you're going to be like Anne Hathaway's character, you have to be all of these things, which Eileen is not. Right. I mean, it's just fascinating. You're just like me, which yeah. you're not at all. Yeah. And yeah, what you just said, like the way she walks down the hall with the kitten heels or the way she smokes, like yeah. it is like perfectly glamorous classic cinema and yet it's just like one off. It's mm -hmm. like someone doing the in impersonation of it almost perfectly. Like right. That's not easy, right? It's like to just do it. Okay. She's got glamour, she's got charisma, but to do it just short of perfect so that it's like it has all of it but it's also someone impersonating it. Mm -hmm. You know, who's weaving a web. It's just amazing. Did you guys get to go on set? Were you? We were there. Well, we the shoot happened. You know, this was all the whole movie from start to finish was during COVID, and the shoot was during the Omicron breakout. So we were on set the day before the shoot, and we got to walk around Eileen's house and look at where. And we were there for get camera filmed. tests. Uh, yeah, so we were around, but not that. for the actual shooting of the movie. Yeah, in fact, the first time I met Annie was, Will was like, she was like, dro she just like was dropping things, I think, like getting in character or something. And and she's like, I'm nervous. Someone come talk to me. And Will goes, Luke, go talk to her. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I just like walked out into the shot and like started up a conversation. Which... And was she, at, was she in character? Yeah. And wow. she was like standing there for camera tests. And mm -hmm. I'm just like. Struck up a conversation. It was kind of a little bit intimidating. Talking to Rebecca. A bit intimidating, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys want to go the next step and direct your own works? Or are you happy in your screenwriting roles? I mean, <clears throat> to say that I don't want to direct would be a lie. But to say that I want to direct now right. would be premature. I want to direct something that I write for myself to direct. Yeah. And I'm still working on that. Yeah. Yeah, exact same answer. Would it be a duo directing team, do you think? Or do you think you want to? <sighs> there had been talk about that at one point on something no longer in play. Um, and that could have its strengths and its challenges. But, I mean, I just, I'd be open to anything. I'm just not there. And what was your most difficult scene to adapt? What was the hardest part of a book to work through or translate to the screen? I mean, in some ways, it's the it's the, the the scenes you take for granted, like, you know, walking down the hallway or just going to the liquor store, that just these, these everyday things that I know how to picture but are hard to translate in in a way that doesn't make them stand out. And then there are moments like Mrs. Polk's monologue in the basement, um, which had to be delivered and written in a way that would gradually reveal the truth and horrify the viewer in a very specific um, order with a specific velocity. That was hard to write that it was well I, I shouldn't say it was hard to write I just think 
that was a very careful adaptation. The scene needed a lot of... Um, you're, you're asking these three actors to go into a scenario that needs to be so clear to them because what Eileen does is so sudden and what Mrs. Polk says is so unexpected. So it, it was a very precise, precisely choreographed scene to write. Yeah, that was the hardest in terms of pacing, in terms of the audience being able to track what's happening and who needs what to happen in order for things to work out well, which of course they end up not working out so well. Um, but it's, you know, things on the fly. They're all having to adjust in real time and just the pacing of it, the dialogue, what needs to accomplish, what needed to be accomplished in that whole section from arriving at Mrs. Polk's house to basically the end. Yeah. Was the, was the most difficult. Your body was sick of being asked this, but is there any word on rest and relaxation in the movie? I don't have like um, anything new to say other than it's still in process. Okay. Yeah. My pitch is Dasha Nekrasova as the lead. I don't know who that is. From Red Scare. Do you know the Red Scare podcast? Oh, wait, is that the blonde? Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. Does she act? Yeah. She was in um, the Succession. Succession. She was the girlfriend. Oh, really? Cousin Greg. Really? Cousin Greg's yeah. girlfriend? or Yeah, she was d doing the PR handling for... Oh, oh um, that was On the her. boat? No, this was... See, this is when... Um, why am I banking on his name? Strong. Jeremy. Jeremy Strong goes rogue, and then she's doing PR damage control. Oh, 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 oh. And she made a movie. She made a really cool kind of... I picture it as... John Waters making p Possession. Hmm. It's called Scary 61st. It's a really fun, crazy movie. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that's, my, that's my showbiz pitch for what it's worth. That was me, Atesha Moshfeg, and Luke Gabel. I had a great time talking to them. And I want to give a shout out. Obviously, Atessa is incredible. And I really love Luke's collection of short stories. 14 stories. None of them are yours. I recommend buying that book also. Okay, that's it from me. Before I go... I got to keep drilling this home. If you enjoy the pod, please like and subscribe. It really helps my pod get into the charts. And the more people listen, the bigger the pod gets, the bigger the guests get. And I've been saying this, and it's already working. We're climbing up in the podcast charts. So that's awesome. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Joshua Eustace, a.k.a. Telephone Tel Aviv, for my beautiful music. And we will speak soon.